One of the hardest things I've ever tried to do in my life is make lasting changes. When I get to doing something a certain way, it's hard for me to break out of the routine no matter how badly I need to make the change. Sadly, this is true for important things and it's true for inconsequential things. There have been many times in my life when I tried to make a lasting change only to find myself back to my routine within a couple of days. Now, chances are I'm not the only person that has experienced this sort of frustration. I would imagine that many of us would like to change things about our lives. And if we were to go around the room and ask what is something about your life or your situation you'd like to change, it would probably be different for each person. Many times we really do want to change, but making lasting change in our life is so very hard. We vow to make changes. We turn over a new leaf. We write a list of changes that we want to make. We work hard to make these changes happen. And then before we know it, we're going right back to doing the things that we weren't going to do or no longer doing the things that we said we were going to do. After repeatedly trying to make changes and failing, we come to the conclusion that we just can't change. The way our lives are is the best they can ever hope to be. When we get to this point, we tend to live lives of quiet desperation. We know that we need to change. We desperately want to change, but we just don't believe it's possible that we can change. And more, up, we just give, more or less, we just give up and decide that we need to learn to live with our lives in the way that they are. But is that true? Is there really no way to make changes? Do we have to learn to live with life the way that it is? Or is it possible to make true and lasting changes in our lives? What difference would it make if we knew that God made changes in our life? Would the changes be lasting then? Scripture is clear that God is in the life-changing business. And that He can change things that we cannot change ourselves. It's what we're going to talk about today and for the next several weeks. Open your Bible to Titus chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 3. And that's page 918 if you've got a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Having been justified by His faith, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The title of the message this morning is Truths About Transformation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. God, you are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come this morning and we desire to know your will for our lives. We desire to be all that you want us to be. God, change is hard. Change is difficult. Change is at times painful. But God, we know that there are things in our life that need to change. And God, we know from your word that you can change us. As we look at your word this morning... Help us to take this and apply it to our lives. Let your Holy Spirit, Lord, open our hearts to receive it. Let your Holy Spirit show us ourselves in this passage and see what we need to do and what you want to do in us, through us, and for us. Help us, God, not to limit your power to change. And help us, God, not to to settle in and just assume that life is the best that we can ever hope that it would be. 
fill me this morning with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I can speak your words and your ways and will not be a hindrance in, in anything. And God, truly transform our lives. Let us live differently tomorrow because of what's happened in this place today. Help us, God, to be fully surrendered to you always, that we can be constantly going through change and we can be the people that you want us to be. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. In this particular passage, Paul... It's a good passage because Paul starts with this negative view of mankind. For we, we ourselves once foolish and disobedient. But the passage ends with having been justified and having the, the hope of eternal life. And it is really contrasting the, the life before Christ and the life after Christ. And what is it that makes the difference in this? It is the transformation that takes place in verses 5 and 6, what the, the Holy Spirit does in order to transform us and to make us into new people. And what the, there's really kind of a, the main thought that I saw from this is that transformation is necessary and transformation is possible. Right? Because there is no way to get from verse 3 to verse 7 without going through the transformation and the work of the Holy Spirit to make us into new people. So it's, it's absolutely necessary that transformation occur in our lives. But at the same time, not only is it necessary, thankfully it is very possible that God will transform us. He will renew us. He will regenerate us and make us into new people. And so from this passage, I want to give you four truths about transformation. Number one, is that I, I need to be transformed. Right? I need to be transformed. You know, while for a lot of us, there are things in our life, and we know that there's differences that need to be made and changes that need to occur. But for every person that wants to make changes, there are those who would say, well, I'm fine the way that I am. Why do I need to change? I'm pretty satisfied with myself as I currently am. Well, Paul explains why we need to change. And what he talks about in verse 3 it is it's for all people. Because notice what he says. For we ourselves. Right? Paul isn't saying this is how you were. Paul isn't saying there are some really bad people and this is how they are. Paul is saying this is how I was and this is how you were. We ourselves. All at one point in our lives this described us. So let's look at how he, how he described us and why we need change. First he says we're foolish. Right? And the idea of foolish, as it's meant there, kind of carries with the idea of, of ignorance. A, a foolish person doesn't know what they don't know. And in this context, Paul is referring to, to God's will. Right? The foolish person, they don't do God's will because they don't know God's will. Right? They have no real knowledge of who God is or what God would want, and so they never really take into, into thought what God would have them do in any given situation. They just live their lives without knowing God's will because they really just have no concept that God has a will for their lives. But not only are we foolish, but there's also we're, we're disobedient. Now, where the foolish doesn't know what's wrong, the disobedient does. Now, if you're a parent, you know what disobedience is, don't you? If you're a teacher, you know what disobedience is. Disobedience is knowing the rule and choosing to do something else. Right? Disobedience is when you tell your child, don't touch the piano, and they say, don't touch this piano right here. Right? That's disobedient. And he says that there are some disobedient. They know what God wants them to do. They're choosing to do something else instead. 
also deceived. And the idea of deceived is they, they are being misled and led astray. Now, the problem with a deceived person is they don't know they're deceived. They think they're right. They think their ideas about God is the right idea. They think their ideas about the will of God is the right idea. But for one reason or another, it's not. Perhaps they think they're saved, and they're really not. They're the, perhaps they're the people that Jesus said would say to him on Judgment Day, Lord, Lord, and he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. Perhaps they're people who worship another God. They've embraced some false religion and are not following the true God of the Bible. Or, or perhaps they don't believe there is any God at all. But either way, whatever what it is, they have an idea of what's right, but what they think is right is really wrong. And so it's leading them further and further away from God. Some are, are serving various lusts and pleasures. They live lust-filled lives. Right? Their lives are based upon the motto, if it feels good... Do it. Right? If they want to do it, they're going to do it. It doesn't matter what God has said. It doesn't matter the consequences for their family or for other people. As long as it brings them pleasure, they're going to take part. They could care less about anything else. Their lives are driven by pleasure and by sensual desires. And then there are some, he says, are living in malice. Now, malice is the desire for bad things to happen to others. Now, thing about malice is malice does not require us to be violent people. Some people who live in malice are violent. They actively seek to hurt others. They seek to hurt them physically. They seek to hurt them emotionally. They seek to hurt them relationally. But they do the hurting. They, they do it and they enjoy doing it. But the thing about malice is I don't have to actually be the one to do the hurting. To live a life filled with malice. As long as I live a life where I want bad things to happen to people, I'm living a life of malice. If I want you to hurt relationally, physically, emotionally, and I take pleasure when you do, I'm living a life filled with malice. Also, he talks about being living a life filled with hate. Being hateful and hating one another. Again, being hateful, that's something we probably all know about. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever been hateful, but you, you know someone that is. Right? You know someone who acts hateful. You know someone who says hateful things to others. Right? That is the idea of seeking to say things and having an attitude, again, where you want people to, to feel bad about themselves. You try to hurt them with your words. Also, being hate-filled is just you, you literally, you just hate people. Right? Now, you may hate them because of their race. You may hate them because of their nationality. You may hate them because of their political affiliation. You may hate them for one reason or another, but you hate them. That is living a hate-filled life. Also, with hateful and hate-filled, there's also the idea that you, you're hated by others. Right? So, I think the hateful person and the hate-filled person are not so much the quiet, hateful people. They don't think hateful thoughts. They say hateful things. And, 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 of course, if you know someone, again, not you, but you know someone who is hate-filled and hateful, how do you feel about them? Do you have, like, this mutual admiration society going on with them? You just think they're great? Probably not. Right? There's, they hate you. Guess what? You feel the same way about them. I don't care how you feel. Right? That's the idea that it's just kind of this constant process of hate going back and forth. 
Now, as we look at that, one of the things I, I realized as I studied this is this is the world I live in. Isn't this the world you live in? I mean, you think about where we're moving into the best season of all, aren't we? Election time. Oh, isn't that the... I mean, if there's anything that fills the world with peace, love, and good feelings, it's presidential elections. I mean, that, that is just all about understanding your fellow man and, and reconciling your differences and just sitting down and talking, right? No, not in the world I live in. In the world I live in, political discourse is hateful and hate-filled. In the world I live in, the talking heads on TV, they, have, they, they wish harm on those who have different political ideas than they do. Right? And it doesn't matter which side of the aisle that you're on. That, that's just the way politics takes place in our world today. We, we also see people who serve various lusts and pleasures. I mean, think about like pop culture. Isn't that, I mean, that's like all that pop culture is. If it, I mean, it's about sex and sexuality. It's about giving in to sensuality and doing what you want, whether it's a song, whether it's a TV show, or whether it's a movie. It's, it's a part of, of all of it. I mean, you probably know that the Avengers movie came out. Um, even the Avengers, which is a comic book show, they could not so much as interview Avengers, guys who play Avengers, without asking them if their character hooked up with another character. What's that have to do with superheroes fighting bad guys? Nothing. But that's a part of the world that we live in. It's, it's always going on. People are, I mean, we see this, but let's bring it closer, right? Not just way, way out there and in Washington and Hollywood, but don't we see these things in, in just our immediate vicinity? Don't we know people who are, who are um, deceived, Right? When they talk about what they believe about God, it is totally contrary to what the Bible says. I mean, they will say, I don't know what the Bible says, but here's what I believe. Well, I can't imagine a God who, and then they go on to say something that totally contradicts a clearly revealed scripture. Or people who are disobedient. They know what God has said. They were raised in church. They, they know how to live, but they just don't care. They're going to do what they want to do in their lives. They're foolish. We know people who just, if you were to tell them what the Bible says, they'd be like, really? Gosh, I mean, I never even heard anything like that in my life. That is, that is just crazy talk. And so that's the world we live in just immediately. But let's bring it even closer and let me meddle a bit. How about in your life? How about in my life? Are, are these things that you're aware of in your life? Again, I, know, I know you're probably not ever hateful. But I'll be honest with you. Times where I am. If, if I posted everything I ever thought on Facebook, I would not be a pastor and I would not have any friends. Because there are often times bad things want to well up and say, anyway, I won't go into it, but that, that's a part of my life at times. Now, that is something I, I can feel. Right? I, I live in a world where I understand various lusts and sensual pleasures. I live in a world where I am aware of these things. And, and even the ones that maybe aren't true of me now, they have been at various points in my life. And if you're honest, you'll have to say it's the same with you. Many of these things either are true about you right now, or they have been true about you at some time. 
And if they were true about you at some point, you still wrestle with him in one way or another. And I don't want to be this way. I do not want these things to be true of me. But here's what I also know. I can't fix me. I cannot just suddenly turn it off and suddenly not be hateful. I cannot suddenly, I mean, a deceived person, if I'm deceived, I can't just suddenly stop being deceived, can I? Because I don't know what I don't know. And you can't make those changes either. You can't force it to happen. You don't have enough self-control to make it happen. You, don't have, you can't be religious enough to make it happen. The only hope that you and I have about these things not being true of us any longer is of God giving us the very needed transformation. You and I, we need transformation. And praise the Lord, it is possible that we can be transformed. Secondly, God wants to transform me. Common wisdom says that if you love someone, you have to accept them just like they are. And let's be honest, there's some truth in that. But let's also understand that that's not the complete truth. I think about it like with my daughters. I will always love my daughters, no matter where they go. Or what they do. But there are decisions they can make in life that will be bad. And they will have negative consequences for their lives. And they can choose then to live in these negative consequences and in these sinful and wrong ways. And I will still love them. But will I want better for them than what they're currently experiencing? Absolutely I will. I will never be content with them living below Their God-given potential. I will never be content with them living below a lifestyle of devotion to God. I will always want better for them. In the same way, God wants better for us. God looks at us and says, you are verse 3. That is the life you live. And I accept you that way. But I love you entirely too much to let you stay that way. There is something... I can do and something I want to do for you that will make a difference in your life so that verse 3 is no longer true of you. God accepts us when we come to Him as verse 3. God never just is okay with us staying there. He always wants better for us than for us to live a life foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts, being hateful, filled with malice. And hating others. God will always work to change us. He wants better for our lives than that. And what I I like about this is why. But when the kindness and the love God our Savior towards man appeared. I was going to start at the back. But he talked about appeared and he's referring to Jesus you see in verse 6. And he poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See God... God loved us and he wanted us to be transformed, but he knew that we couldn't be transformed the way that we were. Something massive had to happen. And a part of the massive thing that had to happen for we could be transformed was Jesus Christ had to come. 
He had to come and live a perfect life. He had to, to die on the cross for our sins and he had to rise again on the third day. God's desire for us to change is evident because he sent his son to make that transformation possible. Now, a part of what we've got to see about this is that all of God's plans for our lives center on Jesus. Understand, God has no plans for your life that do not include Jesus Christ being a part of your plan. God has no plans for your life that do not include you believing in Jesus, living for Jesus, and following Jesus. That is always central to everything God wants to do in you, through you, and for you. Jesus is the center of it all. All. He always has been and he always will be. And there is no way to experience transformation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. But because of Jesus, God will transform us. And notice the why. For his kindness and his love. See, God, God wants to transform us not to be mean or harsh. Not as a constant reminder that we're not good enough, but because God loves us so much that he says, I can do so much for you and I can do so much in you and I can do so much through you and and everything that he wants to do in us, through us and for us. It is because of his kindness and his love for us. That's one reason we can trust God. I mean, that's one reason we can trust God's desire for our change. When God begins to deal with us about something, we can say, this is a good thing because God loves me. He has my best in mind. It is an act of kindness that God is not letting me stay the way I was. Every time God deals with us about anything in our life, Anytime God seeks to transform us and to make us different, it is always because God is saying, I love you too much to leave you the way that you are. Trust me, and I will make you what you could be. God knows all that we can be through His power, through His grace, and through His transformation. And He wants to change us because He is kind and loving. Not only does God... Do I need to be transformed? Does God want to transform me? But God works to transform me. Right? God actually helps. And this is to me, again, a wonderful thought. There are a lot of people who want a lot of things from us, aren't they? They want you to do this and to be this and to do that. But they're not going to help you to get there. Right? Just, here's a goal, take off and go. But God says, I've got something I want you to be, and I can, I can help you to get there. I, I will help you to get there. I want to help you to get there. God is always at work in our lives. And this is huge because too often, the message from Scripture has been, do better. Right? You're, you, you lie. Stop. Right? You, you, you have lust-filled thoughts. Don't think them anymore. Right? You're, you're doing this. Don't do it anymore. Right? Do better. Okay, go home and go do better now. Well, that's not overly helpful, number one. But number two, that's not even what the Bible says. The message of the Bible isn't do better. It's that God can change us and make us better. When we focus on the do better, what we're focusing on is sin management. You know, the reality is sin isn't the main problem. Sin is a symptom of a bigger problem. Sin reveals our hearts. 
Sin reveals our nature. Who we really are. And who we are and what's in our heart. Now that is the problem. And dealing with sin management doesn't fix it. In fact, I think it makes it worse. Imagine you go and break your leg today. And rather than going to the doctor and getting your leg set and getting it fixed like that, you just begin to take pain pills to numb the pain. And so the pain goes away. But guess what? The pain isn't the problem. The pain is a symptom of a bigger problem. Your leg's broke. And numbing the pain will make it seem like it's all better. But really, the problem is still there. And the longer you go without dealing with the problem, the more damage you actually do to yourself. Sin management is taking Tylenol to deal with a broken leg. It may numb the pain for a little while. And you may may be able to knuckle your sin under and and hope that it makes it better. And through self-will, choose to do the right things out in public. But inside, it's all still there. And inside, it's all still churning. But in the end, that is going to fail. That is going to explode. Sin is not the problem. Our nature is the problem. Our hearts are the problem. And we can't fix those things. You cannot be religious enough to change your heart. And you cannot do enough good things to change your nature. You need God to transform you. I need God to transform me. And that's exactly what he does. Paul says in verse 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, the regeneration, the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about God's change in two ways. First, he talks about regeneration or the initial transformation. It says in verse 5 that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. Our salvation or our transformation is never a matter of all that we have done. It's always a matter of what God has done. God is the one who makes the difference. God is the one who saves us. God is the one who changes us. And he talks about it in regards to regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's important for us as we talk about salvation and transformation to understand what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Prior to our being saved, the Holy Spirit draws us to God. We go through life deceived, foolish thinking we're okay and that everything is going to be fine. But then there just comes a time where God, through His Holy Spirit, begins to deal with us about our sin, our lack of righteousness, and the judgment to come. There comes a day where we understand verse 3 is me. We begin to see ourselves in that and to go, you're right, that, that is me and that's a problem. I can't fix it. Well, that wasn't... That wasn't we had an epiphany. That was God's Spirit dealing with us and making us aware of our sin. And then He shows us that because of our sin, we have no righteousness of our own. That if we were to stand before Almighty God in His court today, we would hear, guilty, depart from me. I never knew you. And at that moment, we are understand that we are condemned. Justly condemned in the courts of heaven. And in that moment, we have a decision to make. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just press down on us about our sin. He doesn't just say, 
you're wrong. But he says there's a way to be right. He points us to the Savior. He points us to Jesus. And he says, flee to the cross. Embrace the cross. Receive Christ as your Savior. And in that moment, we have a choice to make. We can receive Christ or we can reject Christ. But we make a decision in that moment. And when we choose to follow the Spirit's leading to Jesus, the Holy Spirit does a work in our lives that Paul called regeneration here. He, he makes us new. Jesus called it being born again. Can't explain how he does it. It's just he does. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the old has gone, that we are an entirely new creation. When we cry out to the Lord for salvation, he changes us. We, we are a different person, truly, on the inside. That is the, the initial work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that regeneration, that initial transformation. But that initial transformation, it, that's not where it stops. Right? We don't get up if we come to the altar and kneel. We don't get up from the altar perfect, do we? We continue to struggle. We continue to, to not be all that we're supposed to be. And so there's a, a second work that goes on. And it is sanctification or continual transformation. Paul references that when he talks about the washing of regeneration and the renewing. Of the Holy Spirit. See, God's desire for us is that we would embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it's not, it doesn't stop there. God wants us to be like Jesus. And being like Jesus requires change in our lives. It requires a, a lot of change to happen in our lives. And so what God does is, from the moment we're saved, to the moment He calls us to be with Him... We deal with the process of sanctification. And, and God is ultimately in charge of it. Right? God deals with us in areas that he knows we need to change in. And he deals with us and he says, you need to work on this. You need to work on that. You need to add this. You need to start that. He, he does this process from the moment we're saved forever. Now, most of this series that we're going to talk about for the next several weeks is going to be on the process of sanctification, the type of transformation that comes into our lives. We're going to talk about being transformed, becoming like Jesus, because that's the ultimate goal of it all. We want to be like Jesus. The transformed mind, thinking like Jesus, right? Because it's not enough that we don't just change the way we live, it also changes the way that we, we think, the transformed character living like Jesus, right? Doing the things that Jesus would have us to do. And, and here's the hard part, in the way he would have us to do it. Right? I mean, how many of us know that you can do the right thing but with the wrong attitude? Right? Husbands, can you feel my pain? You can do the right thing in the wrong attitude and it's still wrong, right? You know what? Here, here's the thing. This is going to be hard for us guys. Our wives are right. According to Scripture, it's not enough to do the right thing with the wrong attitude. We have to do the right thing with the right attitude. We need a transformed character. Transformed service. Serving like Jesus. Transformed relationship. Loving like Jesus. Transformed desires. Hungering like Jesus. Transformed vision. Seeing like Jesus. Transforming habits. There are certain things that we can do that will help us to be like Jesus. And a transforming influence. Leading like Jesus. Now, just from looking at that list quickly, you can see that 
sanctification, this transformation process, it's, it's a deep inner transformation. These are not surface level changes. These are deep changes that God will make in our life. And that is what he is always working to do. If you are here this morning and you have already embraced Christ as your Savior, God is working in your life to help you to be like Jesus in some of these ways. If you are here this morning and you have never embraced Christ as your Savior, God is working in your heart, drawing you to Jesus so that you can have that initial work of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But God wants to transform us and God will work to transform us. And then finally, cooperation with transformation is worth it. God will transform us. But that transformation is not independent of our cooperation. In other words, I don't pray, God, help me to have the mind of Jesus, and suddenly it is without me doing anything but praying a prayer. The way this transformation process works is that there are three basic tools that God uses to transform us. There is the Spirit of God, there's the Word of God, and our decision of faith. What happens is, The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and begins to press on us about something. You're not doing something you should be doing. You are doing something you shouldn't be doing. You need to lay this aside. You need to pick this up. Now, once the Holy Spirit has revealed something that needs to be changed in our lives, we have a decision to make. How will we respond? Will we submit to the Holy Spirit and His transforming work in our lives and make the changes and progress in sanctification and become more like Jesus? Or will we resist that? Will we say, no, that's just not something I'm willing to do. It's not something I'm willing to give up. I, I just don't think that I am. And so, if so, our, our process will be stalled out and we will not become like Jesus. But understand, we always make a decision. Now, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God always to bring us to a point of a decision. Always. Anytime we read the Bible, anytime we hear the Bible preach, God works in our hearts, in our lives, to show us something that needs to be done and bring us to a place of a decision. And we either choose to embrace that and make the changes and do what God wants us to do, or we choose to reject that and to do our own thing instead. Whether or not we become more like Jesus depends on how we respond. Now, the thing about transformation is, it is ultimately change. Change is hard. Change is often painful. Because, I don't know how you are, the things that I do that I'm not supposed to do, there's a reason I do them. I like them. I, I get a measure of pleasure from them. The things that I don't do, that I'm supposed to do, There's a reason I don't do them. I don't like them. I don't want to do it. Doing it will make me uncomfortable. Doing it will move me outside of my comfort zone. I'm pretty sure with you it's the same way. So when God deals with us about things, God's not going to deal with us about eating spinach, right? Because nobody likes spinach anyway, so that's not a big thing that God's going to mess with us about. God is going to instead deal with us about things that we hold dear to our hearts that keep us from being who He wants us to be. God will deal with us about attitudes we have. God will deal with us about selfishness in our lives. God will deal with us about sin in our lives. God will deal with us about the way we treat other people, the way we react when other people treat us wrong. God will deal with us about things we feel justified in doing. And we have to change 
those things because God wants us to. And it's painful and it's difficult and it's a long, hard road. Well, why would we do such a thing? Why would I make these changes in my life if I don't want to make them to begin with? Because it's worth it. Paul says in verse 7, Having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul tells us three results of surrendering to God's transformation that make it worth it. First, we are justified. The idea of justified is when God declares a believing sinner to be righteous. It's not God saying we haven't sinned, for we have. It's not God saying we were never really guilty to begin with, for we were. It is God saying, because of what Christ has done, your sin and guilt has been taken away, and His righteousness has been transferred to you. Look at what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have embraced Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, you have experienced that initial transformation, that regeneration. And now at this moment, when God looks at you, He sees you as the righteousness of Christ. Not because you've been so good, not because you've done so well, but because of Christ and what He has done. Your sin was taken, Can think of it like a, a transfer from a banking account. Your sin was taken out of your account and placed on the cross. Christ's righteousness was taken out of His account and placed in yours. And now you are fully, completely righteous in Christ. That's a pretty good thing that God will do for us. It's worth it. Secondly, we're adopted. So the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then then heirs. Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we also be glorified together. Paul writes in, Titus here, that we have been justified by His grace, that we should become heirs together. Right? We, are, we are adopted. We are the sons and the daughters of Almighty God. And as such, we have a share in all that belongs to Jesus Christ. In a Roman adoption, when a child or a man was adopted into a family, the family was wealthy, the adoptee, where it was considered a full heir. If he was the oldest, he became the primary heir. Right? We are adopted as children of God and all that belongs to God and all that belongs to Christ. We have a share in that. The inheritance that's ours, the, the hope that's ours, the promises that are ours. All of that is a part of what we get as we surrender to the Holy Spirit's transformation in our lives. But we also, we have hope. Right? He talks about according to the hope of eternal life. And this is the one that I think is the most for us as we progress in sanctification. Change is always hard. Transformation will always hurt and be difficult at times. However, in the end, it's worth it. We have hope. Hope is a well-grounded, well-founded assurance that God will do exactly as He has said He will do. Part of what God has said is that He will reward us for our faithfulness. God has said He will take us to be with Him in heaven. He has promised to do things for us now and things for us then. The hope that we have in Christ is so great that the Apostle Paul said that the the sorrows of this life cannot be compared to the glories of the next. It's pretty great. 
So yes, transformation will be difficult at times. It will require sacrifice at times. Massive change at times. But when we stand in Christ's presence and we're there with Him and we hear, Well done, good and faithful servant, we will not say, I was shortchanged by all the changes I had to make. We will say, Praise God, it was worth it all. What I'm experiencing now is better than anything I gave up on the earth. We have hope that it will be worth it. And we have to hold on to that because it will be difficult. I mean, if the goal is being like Jesus, then simply look at where you are now to where Jesus is and see the great gap that must be crossed. The great changes that must be made. But know in your heart and with an absolute certainty, it will be worth it. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.